Hello and welcome once again to episode 112 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So Spencer, word out on the street is that all this time you just wanted to sing. Well, now you can. Yeah, except that's not actually, <laughs> the word is on the street is very wrong in this case, but if you like to sing... You definitely can. Um, kind of out of nowhere, I think, they introduced Apple Music Sing, which is like karaoke, uh, basically, yeah. on your Apple TV, which is kind of cool. Uh, just I, I'm not sure. It's uh, it's releasing not... Um, I live in Utah. I don't know how sort of popular karaoke is here. I don't think it is. Like, we don't have karaoke bars or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you probably do in California. But I don't know anyone who would use this other than maybe, like, wants to try it out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm sure yeah. it's cool for a lot of people, just not for anyone I know. <laughs> I think it was an obvious next step because with the Apple Music lyrics that would actually, like, highlight as as the song was going, that was, like, well, duh, like, now it's just missing a karaoke mode. Um, yeah. And it's not quite karaoke. So karaoke is, like, very typically... You have a microphone and that's piped through along sure, with everything right. else. Um, so this is like not quite there, but it does uh, have separate tracks for all the vocals. So that way you can yeah. like choose who you want to sing as. If you want to do duets, uh, if you want the background, the background vocals to still go and you're just the lead. Or if you want to be the background and vice versa. So all that is kind of set up for you. And I think that's pretty cool uh, yeah. to let people have fun at home. Um yeah, outside of Japan, I've done karaoke like three times. One time was in Australia at someone's house, and that was pretty funny. Okay. Uh, one time was at a karaoke bar in uh, Japantown, San Francisco. Uh, and then like one time, I forget when exactly it was. Um, but those were like all three very different experiences from what I experienced in Japan, which was like there's a karaoke place you have private rooms to go with your friends right. and like act like idiots where no one else can see you acting like idiots, <laughs> which is the ideal time to act like an yeah. idiot. Um, so that's that's like karaoke in isolation without like s- the stares of people that you don't actually know. Um, and uh, yeah, the, this this feels like it can do that at home. So I'm, I'm like pretty down for that. I don't know if it's going to include any Japanese songs because turns out those are the only ones I can karaoke because it's the only like experience that I have. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, thank you anime for having the same opening song over and over and over again enough for me to memorize it. There you go. <laughs> um, so they've got, like Dimitri said, adjustable vocals, which is cool. Mixed down, you know, the main vocals so you can sing those or whatever. Um, of course, the real-time lyrics, which kind of already existed, background vocals, uh, and a duet view, which I think is pretty cool. So you can show, uh, it says multiple vocalists show on opposite sides of the screen to make uh, duets or multi-singer tracks easy to sing along to. So it seems like they've actually put quite a bit of thought into this, and uh, I, I'd assume that they probably had to go to these artists and get um, versions of the music with different tracks. I don't know enough about sort of audio if you could rip that out of like their flack files if they're in separate tracks already 
I think with the high quality audio that they've been getting, it's all on separate tracks already. And that's probably mm. what enabled them to do this. Okay. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, so that's it's either that or some magic machine learning thing that can probably do yeah. just as well. Um because you don't need anything perfect here. You just need to like isolate the vocals and then be able to duck them if you need to. Uh yeah, so you're gonna be screeching over it anyway. Yeah. Um and and from like experience of like actual karaoke, actual karaoke can be like completely different instrumentation for the orchestral part of it. Um and you're just singing on top of the tune. Uh, and like, that's all people really care about at the end of the day. It doesn't have to be the original. So, um, I don't, I don't think it has to be like a perfect solution where they had the originals. Um, so probably okay. Uh, however it is. Gotcha. Then I guess this makes this last part uh, a little less impressive. I was thinking they were going to every artist, but, uh, it says it will be launching a suite of more than 50 dedicated commanding playlists, um, with kind of a variety of, of different music and stuff. So, um, they've kind of already gone out and like made playlists, so you can just like cue that up and start, you know, singing whatever your uh, genre of choices. But still, yeah. kind of cool that they've done that work and not just said like, "All right, have fun, see ya." Yeah, I'd say any any uh, track where they already did the live like lyrics is probably already supported. So, um, I have not verified that. I have not to put uh, iOS sixteen point two on any of my devices. Uh, so you can go there. Uh, you can go uh, verify that once it does come out, but right. um, that's what I'm going to guess. Cool. That's exciting. I don't know. If if you're interested in it, let us let us know how, uh, how it goes. Yep, def- cool. definitely looking forward to trying it at least once, <laughs> at the very cool. least. There you go. Uh, and other exciting news, iCloud is getting true end-to-end encryption for most categories, yes. asterisk. Um, and this is coming via a whole suite of... Uh, enhancements uh, that are coming out. So uh, what are the first few? Because it's it's quite a lot that is being updated. Yeah, so um, the first one would be advanced data protection. So quoting Apple here, it says, advanced data protection is Apple's highest level of cloud data security, uh, giving the users to protect the vast majority of, of their uh, most sensitive iCloud data with end-to-end encryption. Um, so this is pretty cool. Uh, John Gruber kind of says... Uh, continuing that uh it's off by default primarily i believe for customer support reasons um with like standard icloud data protection it's encrypted uh but uh, and in storage on icloud servers but apple holds the keys that can be used for recovery so that's kind of like the whole thing here is making it so that even if apple were to be hacked or the icloud servers were to be hacked you wouldn't be able to do anything it's all um encrypted and you only have the recovery keys and i think i can't remember where it is in this article but um, it talks about sort of having a couple ways to um like be able to decrypt your your uh, information i think you can have it so it's only on your device like the the decryption keys are only on there um don't quote me on that one but yeah, another if you one have is... a trusted device then that serves okay. as like your key um okay. and you are able to always get access to your account as long as you have one trusted device. So for those of us who have seventeen, uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> then we have seventeen trusted devices, which I guess makes us like bigger targets because if any one of those, uh, no, I'm just so. kidding. It should be pretty easy to to uh, lock it on, like lock and disable because each device has their own passcode and stuff like that. So 
Um, yeah. I, I would say this is probably a big improvement over like Apple having the keys because at the end of the day, for Apple to be a, a company that can cater towards regular consumers, they have to hold on to the keys because regular consumers yeah. forget their passwords, they lose their devices, their only device, for instance, um, and then they're out of luck. So if you are a, a regular consumer who wants better security, then they're essentially saying, okay, here are the keys, uh, and yeah. you can't lose it's in your those. hands. It's in your hands. So it's it's literally the thing in your hand, so your phone becomes your key. Um, or you get a recovery key, which is a randomly yes. generated 28-character code uh, that is your ultimate backup. Um, and once you have one of those, Apple has no access to your accounts whatsoever. Yeah. Um, ex- there are like a few uh, ex- like uh, cases where they do still have access, things like Contacts Calendar and Apple Mail, mm-hmm. uh, which... Are, or iCloud Mail, because those are all, like, already open iCloud services. Uh, iCloud services that you can use other, like, products to, like, browse and navigate. So there's no real way uh, to encrypt those. But for absolutely everything else, uh, they are, like, essentially giving you the keys to your own kingdom uh, and relinquishing any control that they have. Uh, or any liability that they have, I should say. So yes. uh, if if your account gets hacked, or if Apple gets hacked, your account, should you choose to go through this path, um, would be 100% secured so long as you don't lose those keys, right? But if yeah. Apple never gets hacked and you lose all your keys, then you're out of luck. Um, yeah. So that's the alternative. So be very careful if you do want this extra security. Um, determine first if, hey, you need it. Um, and if you do determine that you need it, like find a secure place to have backups of that recovery key because that's your only way back in if everything else fails. Um, yeah. So I guess um, back to the post-it note. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could. No, on that note, I guess you could maybe get like a what do they call them? Like a safety deposit box in like a bank or mm-hmm. something, and like write it in there. I mean, you'd want to write it down. You wouldn't want it on your computer because then that's sort of not actually at all secure but you know if your house burns down and it's written on a piece of paper in your house then i don't know you i guess you should really it's less secure but like almost follow like the in a way the three two one backup solution of, of mm-hmm. data uh for this piece of paper and have it in multiple places and stuff like that um apple has a great uh screenshot here of kind of what it will look like in settings and it says uh, specifically for the advanced data protection we're talking about here um, it says uh, that uh, these are the the um, sort of services that uh, are under advanced data protection. So you've got device backup, messages backup, iCloud Drive, notes, photos, reminders, Safari bookmarks, uh, series shortcuts, voice memos, and wallet passes. I think those first five device backup messages, iCloud Drive, notes, and photos are probably the most important ones. Like photos for sure. Um, not that, um, I mean... That's probably the most like important information I have in iCloud is just thousands of photos that I would absolutely hate to have be deleted somehow um, by, I guess, someone. I don't know. Um, but also device backups are really nice, too, um, if you've got some app data on there that, you know, you want to make sure that sticks around or whatever. So, mm-hmm. And then the next page, it says, in, in like title uh font size it says you will be responsible for your data recovery because apple will not have the keys required to recover your data um mm-hmm. 
So I think I if think you I'll, delegate oh. someone else to have access to your account, they can also yep. like give you access back. So yep. uh, that's like an ideal solution for families. Um, but if if you're if you're a loner like Spencer, then uh, that might not work out for you as well. Uh, I have so. a family. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have I don't have a wife and kids, but I have parents and siblings. So. <laughs> I'm not that much of a loner. I just outside of my family and code completion. That's all. Okay. Um, so, uh, in addition to advanced data protection, um, it's making it harder for accounts to be snooped on uh, in the messages app. Um, this is a cool thing. I think it says it will now allow users to log in to their Apple accounts with hardware-based uh, security keys. There's one called Ubico. Um, mm-hmm. I've looked into those for like logging into my Mac. Ultimately, I didn't think it's a big deal to type in my password and stuff, but that's cool that they're doing uh, dealing with hardware as well. Um, I, this seems really, really well thought out. Obviously, uh, I mean it's it's a security thing, so it must have been thought out long and hard. And I, I'm sure they've been working on it for a long time. But there's a lot of really cool stuff with this advanced data protection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if if you're interested in those security keys, it's basically like the Touch ID sensor on modern uh, Mac keyboards. You might be wondering, hey, why doesn't Apple like offer that for regular people? Well, you can buy a security key, and that gives you the same thing. Uh, yeah. The addition here is you can use that same security key for not only your computer, but also uh, your iCloud account itself, your Apple, your Apple ID. So right. um, I think that's going to be... Uh, pretty game changing for those that need this, like journalists or um, other people that are under like high high levels of scrutiny uh, to not have data leak. Um, and for everyone else, like we can benefit as a side of that. Like uh, this only works for them if regular people use it too, because then it doesn't like instantly identify them as being uh, the ones that are like uh, the ones that have stuff to hide. If that makes any sense, um, no, totally. So, so I think it's good that all of iCloud is getting this. Uh, anyone can go ahead and enable it. Yes, we're going to hear about people that lost everything as a result of <laughs> turning on something like this, um, and I likely will not be turning it on for myself because um, I don't trust myself uh, with uh, all of that, despite having many levels of uh, backup. Um, just because it's it's going like eventually I'm going to forget and eventually it's going to be uh, a real mess to recover. So um, I think for now, until that whole story gets a little more uh, clean cut and it becomes a little bit easier to recover things apart from like remembering a 28 character thing or remembering where you put a 28 character yeah. thing, um, then that's probably going to be um when when i start using all this kind of stuff so uh yeah it, it's for everyone but not everyone has to use it and i think that's the good uh the good balance to have yeah definitely um additionally uh if you do choose to enable this certain things will be disabled by default so uh accessing anything on icloud.com for instance will be disabled by default Um, so you can turn it back on and this will allow your web browser, like the browser itself to retain the keys, uh, temporarily. So this can be a good, uh, plan B if you don't have your, I guess you would need your device to access your account. Um, so I'm not too sure of like the, the main use case here. 
Uh, but I guess it would exist. I guess if you have a security key, then you can go to any terminal um, and like sure. do things that way. Uh, but uh, if if you need you have to have your device, then you have your device on you, and that's the way you access iCloud. So there's no real use to access iCloud.com, I guess, unless you need yeah. a big screen. Uh, yeah, I'm not too sure uh, what the utility is there. Um, but also things like uh, shared photo libraries, um, shared albums. I mean, um, uh-huh. I work collaboration, so pages, Keynote. Um, those sorts of features will need keys for other people to access them. Uh, so those are also not encrypted by default. Or they are encrypted, but Apple owns the keys. So it's as if they're not if Apple gets hacked. Uh, right. So that is something to consider with all this. Yeah, I don't know if it's really worth going into, but a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say people, but um, uh, organizations are not happy about this, which is kind of funny. <laughs> I think it is worth going into because uh, the whole the whole point of security is to benefit some individuals, right? Not everyone needs security. Most of our houses, for instance, are secured by a little piece of metal um, and some flaky yeah. wood. Uh, so it's like really uh, <clears throat> trivial to like break into someone's house, but it gives us peace of mind that like the, the bad things are not going to happen, even though it doesn't really prevent anything. Right. Um, whereas this is real security. Like if there's no way uh, to get in with this level of uh, key size and stuff like that. So it really does put a target on the people who choose to use this. Um, and therefore it allows anyone to be a true criminal uh, quote unquote yeah. unquote, uh, if they choose to do nefarious things with this, uh, whereas previously the a criminal could not necessarily go to this level um, all on their own. So um, this is something that law enforcement, for instance, is not really that jazzed about. But once again, if this benefits somebody, I think it's worth having. And if everyone can get those benefits then it kind of protects the people who really need it because they no longer have a target on them as, oh, I turned on the thing and no one else did. Well, they that's they count right there. Um, whereas, like, otherwise, it's kind of hard to find in a sea of a whole bunch of individuals doing this for their own benefit, um, whether that's nefarious or not, right? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's difficult to decide if... Like, these things are morally acceptable. I think if they have any benefit towards anyone, I think it's beneficial to for them to exist, regardless of how nefariously they can be used. Uh, because at the end of the day, once something exists, it's going to exist. Um, and it's up to us to kind of navigate that after the fact. Um, just that's how that's how our culture works. Uh, so that's that's how we need to adapt to it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, anything that's made let's take the internet for example uh is a great source of of you know utility for everyone but of course people are going to use it in a bad way it's it's the same sort of principle i think Mm -hmm. um but i think we've (laughs) figured out how to navigate the internet in a way that you know protects most people they're not clicking on pop-ups or whatever and uh this, I suppose, is just another way of allowing more utility for everyone. But, of course, people are going to use it in a bad way. And, you know, there was that whole um, case in San Bernardino a few years ago 
you know, Shooter had an iPhone, government was trying to get into it. I mean, you're going to hear definitely more about that, but I think everyone's, anyone's right to privacy is sort of a good thing in general. Yeah. So, I don't definitely. know. Hard, hard to navigate, for sure. Uh, in lighter news, uh, the foundation framework is becoming fully open source. Um, and there are many levels to this that are worth like digging into. Uh, but what does this mean for server side Swift development? Yeah, well, it'll be huge for server side Swift. Um, one of the pain points, I think it was pretty early on. It's been a hot minute since I've tried to use like the open source version of foundation, the, the pre this open source version of foundation, um, I think it's core foundation. I can't remember, mm-hmm. uh, uh, is there were just like things that you come to rely on in just iOS and Mac OS development, like uh, date or uh, date components probably would be a better one. Cause I think date exists in the open one or I, I can't remember exactly what does and doesn't exist anymore in that, in uh, that core foundation GitHub repository, it lists out like what things are implemented, what things are partially implemented and what things aren't. Um, but there were just things that you kind of take for granted as an iOS developer as being available to you, but they weren't available to you in Vapor. And so you'd have to come up with either, you know, just writing some boilerplate code to make it work or these contrived uh, things that people have come up with to sort of uh, mimic the functionality of whatever you're trying to do in Vapor. Uh, because they just weren't available to you because potentially and most likely your vapor code would be like running on Linux on a, you know, Mm -hmm. hosted on Heroku or something. So, um, the ability to open source the entirety of foundation means that in vapor, you would have access to all of foundation and you wouldn't have to kind of deal with those pain points. And it would be even less of a barrier to get into vapor development because that transition from iOS to uh, using vapor would be pretty seamless because again, you'd have access to everything and it would just work the same way. And I think a big thing that they talked about, uh, I can't remember where it is in this article or if it was uh, in an article I shared earlier this week was um, I don't think the implementations of like, foundation itself and this core foundation uh, open source version were necessarily the same so you could potentially run into uh, issues with you know you assume that we'll we'll say date components uh, is the same for foundation and core foundation but maybe they missed that whole leap year thing or something like that Mm -hmm. where it could not uh, be exactly uh, identical identical so that would also be mitigated as well with this yeah so up until now, there was Core Foundation, which has always been open source. This is a C library um, that has underpinned both Foundation of Framework, which is an Objective-C private source uh, library that Apple has distributed um, like since Mac OS X, uh, basically, and since the next days, um, and uh, a separate uh, project called Core Libs Foundation, which is a Swift wrapper to oh. all the C core foundation calls but it was not complete uh namely things like async url session never made it over um and they just kind of sat there uh, and it left a lot of people wondering like hey why is this just sitting there uh when it could seemingly be added and it turns out it's because they were probably working on this uh yeah. which is a complete rewrite of foundation 
but it's the same foundation that Apple's using internally and the one that is going to be open source. It's going to be 100% Swift, so no C code backing it. Um, And that does mean that some things are not going to be available, but most things are going to have a common source, uh, which anyone can, one, look into, and two, participate in improving if there is such a bug. Like, I think not too long ago, like within a week or two ago, there was like a bug that someone identified in set because they were doing the advent of code uh, thing. And they just like realized, hey, set has uh, a bug in intersection. Um, So that is something that uh, they they did fix in Swift, but it was not available for immediate use because the foundation like library, the package is not something you can just import into code. So um, that is something that this being open source does help tremendously because one, it allows anyone to kind of uh, poke around and two, you don't need to be a C expert to mess around with this. And therefore you have a higher chance of success, uh, not messing up in that process. Right. Um, so, uh, there are a few goals with this, no more wrap seed code. Um, there's going to be, uh, more granular, smaller packages. So if you don't need, all of internalization, internationalization, blah, uh, that's a hard word, uh, then you don't need to kind of incorporate that that library that has full Unicode support, for instance, uh, because if you're doing an embedded system, that full Unicode support, that's like all your ROM, uh, and then, then you're out. Uh, whereas if you don't need that, then you can go ahead and do much, very cool things with very small code size. Um, and that's where where that benefit is. Uh, similarly, there's going to be a new Objective-C compatibility package with a bunch of legacy APIs, uh, which certain applications use. Um, there's going to be another one for XML support uh, and so on and so forth. So uh, this has really been broken down into several use cases rather than being an all-encompassing library. But since it is a Swift library, it doesn't need to compile all that C code and give it to you. You can go ahead and just cherry pick what you need um, and the compiler will be smart enough to only include what you need in line and you'll be done from there. You don't need to necessarily have the whole the whole library at your disposal if you only need a subset of it. So um, I think this is a really cool thing. It was announced at the server-side Swift uh, conference. It's a one-day conference that's held in London. I think it happened like last weekend uh, as we record this. So Uh, If you want to see similar cool things like this get announced in the future, go check that out as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, It will probably happen again next year. Um, And I'm definitely looking forward to uh, the videos out of this year's coming out uh, relatively soon. Um, So, yeah, lots of exciting things. Yeah. And uh, kind of as a, a final note with this, it says, this also achieves an important community goal, which is an open contribution process, um, which is exciting to... I don't know, and I haven't really ever checked to see if, like, when new things are added to Foundation, at the closed source version. But, mm-hmm. um, I mean, we look at the evolution of Swift as it was uh, open sourced, and it's, you know, exploded. Everyone has great ideas, and it's really become this very popular, very powerful language that we all love. So uh, having Foundation kind of have that same treatment would be exciting to have just, you know, sort of, um, I don't know what you call it, sort of added functionality, not 
to the language, but specifically for foundation itself, I, I'm excited to see what people come up with and, and add to, uh, this, this framework. Definitely. Um, another area where Apple is, uh, adding more things, uh, is price points for apps in the app store. So now you can have a 29 cent, uh, subscription. Currently, it's limited to subscriptions. It's coming soon to everything else. But they added over 700 new price points. Um, but yeah. what this actually means is uh, you have new baseline points, like $0.29. Cents, uh, and then you can go up by $0.10 cent increments up to like $10. And then from there, $5 increments up to 100 or something. 50s. Yeah. Yeah, and then 50s yeah, they... from there. So... Sorry. Yeah, they've got a good... Um... We'll we'll link to this this Apple Newsroom article, but they've got a good kind of graphic that the price steps are like ten cents up to a point, fifty cents up to a point, one dollar up to a point, five dollars, ten dollars, and a hundred dollars. Um, yeah, yeah, cool. And then they Looking have uh, forward like, to those subscriptions. Yay! <laughs> yeah, I think I don't know. Um, I let's see. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, I think what I'm most excited about is you're no longer limited to four ninety nine. You can now just yes five dollars. Yes. Uh, goodbye abusive pricing mechanics, and you can just have a simple, straightforward thing that's easy for people to read, um, and you can customize it per region, which is super cool. So that way, everywhere yes. it can be five dollars, five euros, um, five hundred yen. Uh, and so on and so forth. And then you can pick and choose your battles with currency rates uh, yourself and not just need to rely on Apple to do that for you, which frankly, I'll probably rely on Apple to do that for me because that seems like the more sane option. But if you choose like, I like this $5 style, then the currency conversions are going to pick a similar style um, automatically for you. So that way uh, it doesn't, it doesn't lead to like really weird pricing in some regions over others. Yeah, like Dimitri mentioned, you've got like the the different, uh, I guess, cent conventions or like uh, sub whatever currency conventions. So you've got like dot ninety nine, dot zero, dot ninety, dot ninety five, um, and all of those have kind of a highest supported price, which is I I don't really understand why, but um, yeah, kind of kind of cool. Uh, yeah, if anything, I like Dimitri. I'm excited for just the flat like integer value of uh, of an app instead of having 99 or whatever so that's nice yeah and another change that's coming with all this is you can now ask for like higher price points so if you really want to make some moolah off of uh the app store uh then you can ask apple nicely and they will give you access to these higher price points um yeah. so the i am rich app uh can <laughs> can uh, make a return yeah, that was what nine ninety nine or eight hundred or something. Nine hundred ninety nine dollars. Yeah, this now the highest supported price is uh, ten thousand dollars. That's is... per month on a subscription. Yeah, I don't know what you. That's dude. I, I <laughs> Starlink on a on a yacht is five thousand dollars a month. You could do two Starlinks on a yacht with a subscription like that. That's nuts. Hey, 10 gigabit internet to my house, uh, according to AT&T, is also $5,000 a month. There you go. So okay. I can choose, do I want to pay for internet or do I want to pay for my house? Uh, those are the <laughs> options that are available. <laughs> oh, my God. Or I guess in this third case, or do I want to pay for Flappy Bird's uh, super premium edition uh, for $10,000 a month? 
There you go. Super premium. It's Super gold. Premium. Everything is gold. Oh, uh, only playable on a gold iPhone. They they do the check. If you don't have a gold uh, yes. iPhone, then you're out of the club. Which I ironically do because I thought it would look you nice do. with the orange. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it doesn't even look nice. So uh, I am never buying a or- uh, gold iPhone again unless the gold becomes orange, I guess. Uh, Lesson learned. The the orange on the iMac is like so nice. It's so not gold. Um, but uh, Apple refuses to put that on anything else. So I'm so glad I got that iMac because it is very nice looking. Uh, and yeah, they- it is my favorite orange. They knocked it out of the park with all of the iMac colors. They all look so good. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see any more. No, big bummer. Big yeah, sad. Big bummer. Uh, in in similar news to uh, iMacs being awesome, uh, the M2 Max uh, is coming back to the headline. So we have a bit of a deprecation warning from our last episode where we talked about them being fast. Turns out they're faster. Um, so yes. they're not quite there at the th- Intel 1300K, whatever model number uh, Intel yeah. likes to use. Uh, but they are definitely over the 2000 mark on the Geekbench uh, single core scores. Um, and that's pretty darn exciting, I would say. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, 2027 single core score and a 14,888. That's That's pretty fast, man. And I think more exciting. Well, I mean, that's exciting. But... Um, they, that was for the Mac 14, uh, comma six identifier, which I, we were kind of assuming was probably a MacBook pro. Um, this is a, then there is now a Mac 15 dot four or comma four. So maybe this is the, uh, nine to five Macs kind of thinking that this is maybe, um, another unreleased MT powered Mac or like a Mac studio or perhaps even a, another different MacBook model. Um, I mean, it would make sense that it would be like a Mac studio. I don't yeah. Know. We kind of talked about that last time too, but, and, and we don't really know what the Geekbench scores for the Mac 15 comma four is. All we know that it shows is that it showed up on steam's, oh, uh, yeah. hardware and software survey, uh, for November. <laughs> Um, and this is just like an automatic thing that Steam collects and that they publish uh, every month. Um, and it allows you to see like what people are using to play games uh, via Steam uh, specifically. Mm-hmm. So Mac representation is low, uh, to, to say the least. Uh, but um, if these devices are showing up, that likely means that Apple is testing uh, with various games to see what the perf- real world performance is like um, on their new uh, machine. So that is uh, very cool uh, that we are going to be getting new Macs soon. Um, it doesn't look likely that we'll be getting them in 2022 anymore, considering there's no. only a few weeks left. Uh, but definitely in 2023, um, there's going to be some some excitement uh, to be had. Um, I wonder, because when the, when the M1 Macs were just coming out, they were basically at the top of the charts for um the single core scores do you yes. think that apple is noticing that intel and amd are kind of like using all the energy to get as high as a score there as possible and just might flex a little bit on the next year's mac studio or whatnot to kind of have it use a little bit more energy to like really outperform the competition i think it's possible i think one thing that apple definitely has going for it is 
the, uh, I guess I should say, lack of power consumption where uh, I, I don't know how much power consumption uh, your Mac Studio uses, but it's most definitely not. Yeah, <laughs> uh, maybe at the highest end, maybe 80 watts or something. I don't know. But uh, for example, the like the Intel and I think actually AMD, the latest chips that have kind of just recently released, they get up to like easily 200 watts plus. Um, you know, if you're if you're going kind of hardcore, uh, but they do get up to like six gigahertz, which is crazy, and not including you know talking about IPC or anything. Um, so if Apple, I mean, uh, I don't know how accurate it is. Let's see if it shows it on this. Um, yeah. 3.6, so on, I think, right? Yeah, gigahertz. 3.68 gigahertz. So they're not boosting to the same uh, clock speed as AMD and Intel are, but their IPC is great. So it, if they come out with, like, the M2 Extreme, that because of its beefy cooling or whatever, and it goes to 5 gigahertz with its IPC... I think it would blow it out of the water for sure. So, mm-hmm. uh, not to mention, I don't know how it'd be interesting. I don't know if you've looked into this, but to see how hot your um, M1 Ultra gets under like a Cinebench load, mm-hmm. if there's thermal headroom with the current coolers, there definitely is. The fans don't don't do anything. Okay, um, they just Perfect. stay on at the same level that they're on when it, the thing is off, and that's that. So there's definitely, like, you could put one of these chips in a Mac Mini and just have the fans rev up, uh, and that'd be totally fine, because that's what it is in a MacBook Pro. Like, it's this thin, and the fans rev up. So I think the Mac Studio was Apple's, like, experiment of, hey, what if the fans never turned, like, on appreciably? Like, they need to be on for the power supply, so we'll just let them be there. Um, But they're not going to ever, like, make a noise that you'll like reasonably identify um and it seems that they've succeeded in that goal so now it we're likely going to see those same chips end up in mac minis that can make some noise um Mm -hmm. because not everyone needs a super quiet mac if you need the super quiet one go for the ultra um if you just need the small form factor you can go for the mini and it's gonna make some noise that's the trade-offs right um and on the ultra maybe now that can give it the headroom where you have an option for high power and low um or low noise and you can get yeah. the higher power if you really want it um at that given moment in time or if you're recording a podcast you set it to low noise and then that is not going to get ever get in your way so i think that's that's something that apple can consider when they're like making these new macs um especially for next year and especially since the M2 seems to want to use more power if it can, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it will make more noise as a result or it will thermally throttle on like the MacBook Airs that don't have any fans. Um, right. Like that is going to be the case if you really, really push it. Um, and I think it'll be good for the Mac to have those options available to it. Yeah, I just kind of my final thoughts. I think we talked about this in one of the last episodes, but. I, I said I wasn't, you know, particularly um, motivated to move from like an M1 MacBook Air to an M2 MacBook Air because the performance is like negligible. I think in here it said it was like eleven percent or something. I can't remember. It's not a ton. Yeah, year over year, um, you're really going to notice it. But just sure, like after yeah, several but, years, you'll really notice it. But like one year to the next, it's like, eh. 
yeah, like do it every two or three years, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if they're just like, yeah, let's let this thing run wild and give it like if it has the ability to boost higher but make some noise then that would be motivating for me to be like oh yeah i'll i'll totally do that um and maybe get a macbook pro that actually has a fan so i can um take advantage of that when i'm i don't know compiling code using blender sometime when i get around to learning blender i I don't know but the option there, like you said, would be cool where like Windows has, you can choose these like power plans. So you can say like, yeah, have it be pretty balanced with performance and um, and uh, energy usage or just like high power, just like boost all the time uh, until Please it thermal melts throttles. my GPU. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> But the option to do that in, uh, in uh, system preferences or what do they call it now? System settings. I hate it. Um, could be there, so. Yeah, I mean, yeah. for the laptops, they have it, right? They have more power or more power efficiency. Um, and, uh, yeah, more performance or more <laughs> more power or more power efficiency. Uh, more performance or more power efficiency. Um, yeah. So I think for the desktop, that use case is probably going to be, like, more silent or more powerful. Um, and yeah. then you can, you can choose what you want for any given workflow, um, and that would be ideal. I was going to say, I think the Mac Studio uses less than any one of the monitors that is plugged into it. Um, <laughs> Probably. Just in terms of, like, the maximum that it can it can go ahead and use. Probably more if you plugged in a bunch of Thunderbolt stuff and each of those Thunderbolt things used, sure. like, the maximal power that they can. Like, then that's a different equation. But uh, the actual machine itself, very, very little, uh, which is very... Uh, ironic considering that the, the monitors are plugged into it and eat up vastly more power um, just because they're turning it into light. Um, yeah. So little, little guy turning was... turning calculations into heat is uh, more efficient than the big guy turning things into light, uh, it turns yeah, out. 1,600 nits, that's kind of a lot of light. I mean, even the, the LG 5Ks, I think, use more power. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably, actually. So power for everyone. This week's episode of Code Completion is once again brought to you by Bon Voyage. Bon Voyage is a full-stack iOS development course from Johnny B. With this course, you'll learn how to build both a full iOS client app and an associated React web animation application. The app and the site will integrate via Firebase, as well as Stripe and Plaid for payment processing. Bon Voyage is a place to book extravagant vacations, and you'll gain the skills to build the iOS app from the ground up and integrate everything you need to provide a world-class vacation booking experience. To find out more and sign up for the course, visit bonvoyage.app/course. That's b-o-n-v-o-y-a-g-e dot a-p-p slash c-o-u-r-s-e, and be sure to follow Bon Voyage's instructor at Johnny B Codes. That's J-O-N-N-Y-B-C-O-D-E-S on Twitter to stay up to date with all his courses. Thanks again to Bon Voyage e-commerce app course for sponsoring code completion. Uh, minor, minor thought on faster Max and uh, building a React web app. Uh, turns out uh, things like uh, Xcode are pretty darn fast for app development um, and development in general and doing any sort of web development where you need to use like Yarn and Node and all mm. those package things. Those really benefit from single core performance because they're not at all like multi core prepared. Um, so Apple, if you can improve, if you can double those uh, single core scores, then you will make a whole bunch of developers really, really happy. 
uh, to use all that. <laughs> Just saying. That makes sense. And on that note, uh, Spencer, I've got a code completion tip for you. Um, okay. Have you ever built or written an enum? And this is a string-based enum uh, where you have like a whole bunch of options. And then you have like an other option and you needed like it to handle any other case, right? You've mm. probably seen something similar to that. Yep. Well, there's a much better way. And that is to create a struct and conform that struct to raw representable. So raw representable is a very convenient uh, protocol that allows any struct to basically behave kind of like an enum, except an unbounded enum. So you can have any value in there whatsoever. Um, and what you do is you can declare all your cases as static lets. So static right. let uh, case one equals and as a string, uh, you can specify something. Uh, case two equals this case three equals that um and this doesn't just work for strings it works for any anything that you can uh represent under the hood as a raw value um and it translates automatically when you use it with codable to the raw value um so whatever that raw value is that will automatically get translated it translates back um you can have failing failing initializers for it um so yeah raw representable is like the 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 general uh kind of solution to enums that don't have like a finite number of cases um and it's much better than writing an enum where you have a bunch of cases and then you have a final case called other that takes Uh like an associated value um this will just allow you to like have all your cases and then not need to have that other case um so you can still represent other cases very easily they're just not named according to uh your raw representable thing so uh definitely recommend uh people check that out if you ever run into that sort of uh situation before very cool i'll try that one out uh for our mini review corner today uh we have uh, something very different um and this started off as a kickstarter or the the company already existed but they did a kickstarter recently uh, for the iconic pillow collection number two uh, and you might be wondering like what on earth is this about uh, well there's a company <laughs> called Throwboy, uh, which uh, absolutely does not make copyright infringing pillows of our favorite products uh, but uh, turns out they do um, and uh, this is the uh, 1983 uh, pillow um, I think that's just what's called it's definitely not called the Lisa pillow uh, yep. in fact uh, there is absolutely no Apple logo on this. There is just a pillow logo on this, which is uh, very cute. So if you're not watching this on YouTube right now, go go like switch over to the YouTube one um, if you can, because I'm showing these pillows off. Uh, but yeah, this is a very squishy, very comfortable pillow. Um, I have uh, several other throwboy pillows. I have like a finder icon, which is absolutely not a finder icon. And I have a spinny beach ball of doom icon uh, as well. Uh but yeah, so this is the first of their iconic pillow collection too, uh, the 1993, um, and yeah, it has all the ports in the back. Yeah, like it, it is, it is detailed. Uh, all the vents, the expansion slots, the floppies, and the screen. It's it's very cute. Um, that's cute. So that's the first of these, Spencer. I hear you have these as well. Yes, I do. Um, I have the 2000 pillow, oh. which is shaped like 
a G4 cube and it's got the vent and everything. And again, like the IO is just like immaculately represented. It's so cool. They're really soft too. And, and, uh, they feel really nice, but the uh, kind of attention to detail and everything is cool. And, you know, instead of the Apple logo, it's just a, a pillow, but it's, yeah, it's really cool. So, so I, the, ironically, it's almost the exact same size as a G4 cube. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Yep. Uh, next up on this, definitely not a uh, copyright infringement, uh, is the 1999 pillow, uh, which opens. <laughs> oh, it's so And cool. it, it, it kind of stays open at the right angle. It doesn't really plop too far. Um, it has a trackpad. It has a keyboard. Uh, it has a screen with a very large bezel. Um, definitely not an Apple logo right there. Uh, the handle, unfortunately, does not come out. You do have this little mini handle to mm. to kind of tie the tie the difference. Uh, but you do get all the ports on the side. Um, I think on the side as well. So you got your USB. Wow, that was a game changer. Uh, this no. USB plug. Um, but yeah, it's, it it opens and closes. It's so cute. That's awesome. I love that one. Uh, yes, I also have the 2003 pillow, which is modeled after a G5, uh, which Power Mac G5, which I have like three of them at my house. Uh, one is one is a Hackintosh, but I just like that. I, well, I've had plans for some, but again, just very kind of immaculate details and stuff. And the the um, vents and everything and all the IO and stuff. DVI the, ports. Yep. The DVI ports up here. So cool. Uh, yeah, awesome. And you know, the, the cheese grater, uh, it's just printed on, but looks pretty dang good. So yeah, uh, th- those are the only two that I have, but I'm super stoked with, with both of them. They look really cool. So yeah. Yep. And to, to finish it off, we have the 2002 pillow, uh, which is an <laughs> iMac G4 and it's super it's... janky as state. Um, it, it will like just plop over, so like you have to like yeah. if you want to present it, you have to hold it by its neck, uh, kind of like an angry goose. Um, <laughs> but this is like this is the computer I was fawning over as a kid. Like I really wanted this computer, um, but then the iMac G5 had to come out, and that's when I got mm. uh, which I I really loved for a long time. Uh, but yeah, like it has like all the ports. I love it. It's so, so much. cool. It is like yeah. so perfect. Um, the 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 you can rotate the monitor. <laughs> <laughs> true <laughs> so true jinky fashion. i love it <laughs> it's just kind of like flopping all over the place um oh it kind of holds itself oh no there it goes <laughs> so uh yeah like there's a surprising amount of thought and effort that went into these yeah um so they they don't come cheap unfortunately they're they are like 44 dollars a pillow um 43.99 i think um but they are definitely com- comfortable and fluffy um and great to have around um like yeah definitely if you're if you're a fan of a particular company definitely worth kind of checking them out i would say yeah i um the first time i saw a g5 was i went to my dad's work one day and he works at like a a printing company Mm -hmm. um and the designers were using g5s um and so that was like ingrained into my memories, like the one that I wanted, like way before that was even before my family really used Macs. We used Windows for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was maybe 10 at that point. I, I don't know. Let's see, 2003. 
yeah something like that um so that one was like i was so stoked to you know get the pillow but also just like make a hackintosh and stuff that's the cheese grater was always like kind of i don't know it was special in my heart you know what i mean yeah definitely (laughs) um i think my mom still has a like power mac g5 cheese grater before they called them the mac pros um and it like all the cooling leaks and it eroded the whole oh, bottom of the no. thing yeah so the computer is like forever irreparable i feel like um but yeah. uh it, it still looks nice uh which is neat uh but yeah i hear the coolant like destroyed a fair amount of those over time um bet, just because yeah. water cooling they're not the greatest cool, yep. <laughs> yeah turns out passive cooling and is like gonna be indestructible uh going forward <laughs> i feel <Yes>. like <laughs> yeah um, just so you know, if uh, if you're listening to this and you want to get these, uh, like Dimitri said, they're like $43 a piece. But um, I paid $54 for two for their Kickstarter. So if they ever do another one, uh, follow them on Kickstarter. And, you know, they, they're sort of proven, so I wouldn't necessarily think it's much of a risk. Um, I definitely backed things on Kickstarter and never got my stuff. But I think this is a pretty sure, sure deal if they, you know, make like a an M series collection or something mm-hmm. with like Mac studio. That'd be super cool. So yeah, definitely. Oh, just imagine how janky the new IMAX are going to be. <laughs> Everything's going to be so yeah. thin. <laughs> I super think thin. This works because it's accurate. Yes. <laughs> it was yes, exactly. Thing. Like we're joking. Like nowadays of like computers are getting thinner and thinner. This is how thick a laptop used to be. It was so thick. You can make a pillow out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like size accurate dimensionally accurate yeah like that's that's just insane that things have gone oh, so man. thin and like bendable to the point where like you can bend it like that didn't <laughs> exist back then um so yeah yeah technology is really exciting when you when you look back on it uh and you yep. s- like Stop concentrating on like, oh, it's just eleven percent since improvement over the years. Like, no, we have freaking supercomputers compared to the past. It is insane. You're right. You're right. I need to. I need to not be so full of hubris and. <laughs> yeah. As always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter or on Mastodon.social at CodeCompletion to know when new episodes go live. And feel free to tweet at us if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis, that's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S, for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buniol, that's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Right. Uh, so now we can go back to the Game Awards, uh, this yes. fascinating time once a year uh, where everyone in the community gets back together to discuss what were the most popular games in December. Um, <laughs> so joking, joking, it seems like they did a better job at like evening it out a little bit better where it's like the g- yeah. games that came out in January were still like not forgotten. Um but it's still a popularity context contest. It's still just like, hey, uh, these are the big, big games that paid a lot of money to have 
their uh, promotion on last year's Game Awards, so we're going to go ahead and give them a lot of focus this year uh, kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, I'd say it was interesting. Yeah, it was really long. I watched the whole... We, I think we both watched They're the whole They're always really long. I, this is the first time I've watched, like, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I've usually just tuned into, like, the Game of the Year. Um which is at like the end of like this three hour ordeal, mm-hmm. um, you know, and they, they it's cool because they put out a bunch of awards for like best indie game and like you know there it's not just like the best AAA big budget game, but they go into you know <clears throat> they they kind of highlight um, like most anticipated game and big you know best indie game Breath and stuff. Of the Wild, Tears of the Kingdom, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's Boom coming Ragnarok. out Ragnarok. <laughs> yeah so it ended up just being a, a hate fest on god of war ragnarok because i've never played the game and i want they won everything win. i know they won like everything but i wanted elden ring to win uh everything because i love that game um, but they did win but they everything. did win three things uh including game of the year which i am stoked about because i think it deserves it um and also mostly it's self-serving because i want them to the development team to keep working on dlc because i want more there's there's a lot of that game that is unexplained and i like the the way that elden ring does story which is very kind of subtle and you have to search it out and by search it out i mean go to youtube and uh watch videos on people who have done the hard work and searching it out and looking through game files and looking at architecture and all this stuff and decoding the latin uh in the music and stuff so there's a lot to it which is cool but uh it's way more work than i'm gonna do so i just watch the youtube videos on it and uh those channels have a lot of uh subscribers because a lot of people are interested in it so uh game awards ultimately was a cool thing for me even if it was a long evening um yeah yeah the reason i watched it uh both last year and this year in its entirety is i was hoping deeply for some uh tears of the kingdom uh hot content um but yeah what you sent what you mentioned before about like people going and like describing it all on youtube um i i live for those analysis videos that come out whenever like a trailer comes out for like a new zelda game mostly because there's some very surprising people that come out of the woodwork to like help out on those for instance on the latest breath of the wild uh tears of the kingdom um trailer there's a lot of this gerudo kind of text that's mm-hmm. everywhere uh and no this has never been like these can either be random or they can actually say something and there isn't like a chart to tell you what it says yeah so then out of the woodwork you have crypto analysis coming in and being like <laughs> well if we're yeah. gonna look at not only english but japanese like word patterns then we can guess that these characters come out with these sounds and it means this in Japanese. And if you use this guess, you can extrapolate from that and then decode this whole new area and then like That's fill in nuts. the holes there. And then like you have the whole story. Um, and of course they're not leaking anything of substance. It's just like pure extra flavor text uh, for the story itself. Um, and like it builds hype for like, yeah, the building a lot of hype. Though. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, like, most people aren't going to care, but like, no, if you're watching those videos, you're like, give me this game, dude. <laughs> uh, lots of anticipation, to say the least. Um, yeah. So, 
Yeah, uh, I, I I definitely sat through the entire Game Awards. I learned a lot about other video games uh, because I don't play <laughs> other video games. Um, I, I learned that Ragnarok is the game to play because that's the one that won Apparently. everything. Um, yeah. And I also learned that they need to give uh, like time limits to people saying thanks on stage because it seems like that can go on <laughs> yeah. forever uh, in certain situations. Uh, and they also probably need to like be a little careful about who can walk on stage. Otherwise, uh, mean old Rabbi Bill Clinton is going to come and uh, yep. do something. I wasn't too sure what was going on there. Um, that was nuts. But it, it just happened. Um, yep. And that's the Game Awards, I guess. Yep. Definitely look that up if you're uh, interested. It was kind of crazy after the game of the year um the the uh from software development team went up including the director of elden ring uh some kid just walked up and talked about very confident <laughs> yeah very confident it was like reformed orthodox jewish uh rabbi bill clinton and everyone was like what what <laughs> what okay and then the uh the host of the game awards tweeted that he had been arrested and it's like a whole thing i think he's now been interviewed and stuff so yeah kind of kind of interesting like i'm sure there was some sort of like very bad message behind whatever he was trying to say so we shouldn't be making light of it but at the same time like practice first because otherwise no one's gonna have any clue what you're trying to like protest or or yeah. like push um i think at that I, moment in time i think i saw somewhere that he's like done the same thing at like it was like a league of legends uh show or something like he's done this multiple times just walking up on stage and saying random stuff so i don't know if there was like mess oh one of them was like protesting something in china at like an nba game i can't remember he has like a history of doing this though is the point so <laughs> kind of interesting yeah yeah Maybe don't allow random people on stage. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Maybe. as as we were saying before, if someone's going to misuse something, they can misuse it, right? Like it's yeah, it doesn't mean it doesn't necessarily mean we have to like bulk up security and all that unless it becomes a pattern. Um, but yeah, it's just our world is inherently insecure uh, in one yeah. way or another. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I guess if if you want to have a fun evening in December next year, go watch the Game Awards. It's always always entertaining in one way or another uh never in the way it intended um no i mean you'll see some exciting announcements for some stuff again hopefully mm -hmm. for like breath of the wild i don't know if this was public before the game awards i didn't know about it but uh or sorry breath of the wild tears of the kingdom um <laughs> i did the whatever. same thing like four times <laughs> tears of the kingdom it's coming out in may of next year so that's like mm -hmm. six months from now not that mm -hmm. long of a wait may now 12. that we've been waiting five years uh but i don't know now that we actually know a little bit about it and stuff it doesn't feel like a a huge wait so that's exciting yep metroid prime is still 12 months out but uh, ooh, yeah <laughs> legend of zelda tears of the kingdom um uh, which, which on my amazon order is still listed as breath of the wild 2 um it is nice. uh just under or just over five months out so really looking forward to that yeah that'll be uh taking the day or week off of work and uh just day through week that. i'm gonna be week. taking a, a good two-week vacation for that one <laughs> so, that's awesome yeah you all will be getting pre-recorded episodes <laughs> as uh 
There we um, go. There we go. I, I will be nothing, uh, busy. Um, nothing will interrupt Mitri. <laughs> well, Spencer, I'm giving you the opportunity to play too. You just have to ask for the oh, same I'll, same two weeks off, right? I'll and then be we playing. Can both oh, play. Don't worry. I'll probably do the same thing. Uh, playing and working. Uh, I can't. I, I can't do that. <laughs> Yeah, the, especially when it's like right on your mind. It was it was hard to do that for Elden Ring, and when it came out, I spent the first two or th- maybe three weeks. It was like any time I wasn't working, I was playing that game for like literally eight hours a day, um, and then sleeping, then working, then playing straight. <laughs> Got up to two hundred hours pretty dang fast on that game. Nice. Okay. Uh, see y'all next time, everyone. Bye. Bye.